How are you doing okay? I'm glad that you are here. And so whatever the week may have thrown your way, you made it. You're here, and uh, I believe that God has something in store for you today. So may he give us ears to hear and a heart to receive what he would have for us this morning. So if I've not had the pleasure to meet you yet, my name is Pastor Adrian Pina. I have the opportunity to serve as the interim pastor here at Firewell Bible Fellowship. Again, we're really glad that you're here and those of you who are joining us online. As we continue on in our sermon series. So a couple of weeks ago, we started a sermon series called Riding the Waves. And so remember the purpose of this sermon series is to talk about how God created us as emotional beings. And that's not a bad thing. That we experience emotions and sometimes those emotions come in waves. And we don't know when they're going to come. And what can you do when you're confronted with a wave like as if you're at the beach? You can either ride that wave or you can get crushed under the weight of that wave. So we started a couple weeks ago by looking at the wave of fear. So we talked about fear and all of its implications. And we looked at that. And then last week we looked at regret. And we looked at regret through doing a character study on, I believe, the poster child of Scripture, uh, the Apostle Peter. And we looked at his life in three acts. Remember, act one was we talked about Peter's pride. We talked about how Peter said, Jesus, I'll never forsake you. And I don't know how all those other guys, they may forsake you, but I promise I'll never forsake you. And I'm not going to leave you. And I'm going to go with you to the cross. And then Jesus tells him he's going to deny him three times. So we see Peter's pride rise up. And then the second act of the story as the climax begins, we see Peter actually fulfill that prophecy as Peter denies the reality that he even knows Jesus three times in the same night. But then we see the climax of that story, which could be contrasted with the disciple Judas, because both of them experienced regret. But one experienced regret and sorrow to the point of taking his own life. The other experienced regret and sorrow as a godly sorrow, and that when he saw the resurrected Jesus, he got out the boat and he made sure he got to him. And then Jesus sat around with him, resurrected Jesus, sitting around a campfire, eating some fish and talking to him, and then reconfirming his commitment to Peter and saying, tend to my sheep, as Peter confirmed his love for Jesus. So I asked all of you to answer a question last week, and I want to thank you all who very vulnerably participated, and I had you interact during the sermon and answer this question, what is your biggest regret? And it was pretty powerful looking at some of the different statements that were up there, and just, as a, just, a, just a few that popped up was sex before marriage, fear, infidelity, Weight gain, hurting my spouse, saying hurtful things. These kind of things that popped up that are very, very real that we deal with as we process through this emotion called regret. But our one true statement was that the cross is the only safe place for human regret. So the cross is the only safe place for human regret. So that's where we bring it. We bring it to the feet of Jesus. Now today we're going to talk about a very real and very important uh, emotion. Because this is an emotion that at times we don't talk about at the church. We don't, we don't talk enough about and sometimes still has a stigma carried to it. And we're going to talk a little bit about depression this morning. Now this issue, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in this reality. This is not a clinical presentation but a biblical presentation. But we are going to interact a little bit with the concept of depression. And we are going to systematically walk through Psalm 42. And I don't believe you can read some of the Psalms. They didn't have the categories that we have. 
have. They didn't have studies on the brain and uh, the chemical effects of depression. They didn't use that terminology. They didn't have those kind of categories. But you cannot read through some of the Psalms and not tell me that the psalmist and David sometimes are experiencing bouts of depression. And Psalm 42 is a very real and raw psalm that we are going to walk through this morning. So let me begin by defining terms, because terms are important. So depression as defined by psychology today is this. Depressive disorders are characterized by persistent feelings of sadness, worthlessness, and a lack of desire to engage in formally pleasurable activities. Depression is not a passing blue mood, which almost everyone experiences from time to time, but a complex mind-body illness that interferes with everyday functioning. It's not only darkens one's outlook, but it also is commonly marked by sleep problems and changes in energy levels and appetite. It alters the structure and function of nerve cells so that it disrupts the way the brain processes information and interrupts experience. So it's not just a thing that is just this emotional thing. There is a physical element that goes to it as well. What are some of the symptoms of depression? According to the American Psychological Association, people with depression may experience a lack of interest and pleasure in daily activities, significant weight loss or weight gain, insomnia or excessive sleeping, lack of energy, inability to concentrate, feelings of worthlessness or excessive guilt, and recurrent thoughts of death or suicide. Now, this is not a problem that this is not just a little thing. I'm going to share with you just a couple statistics, and then we'll, we'll progress forward. So according to the World Health Organization, here's its best estimates as to the effect and reach of depression. Depression is a common illness worldwide with an estimated 3.8% of the population affected, including 5% of among adults, and of those adults, 5.7% of them ages 60 and older. Approximately 280 million people in the world suffer from depression. At worst, depression can lead to suicide. Over 700,000 people die ever to suicide every single year, and suicide is the fourth leading cause of death amongst 15 to 29-year-olds. This is a big problem. This problem has only actually been exacerbated by a little thing called COVID. A little thing called COVID has caused some very significant mental health-related issues and bouts of depression and leading in increasing suicide. So I want to get this out the way right at the forefront this morning. Please hear me. If you are currently here under the sound of my voice and you have had depression before, currently battling depression, taking medication for it, it is not a character defect, it is not an emotional disorder, it is not a sin. It doesn't reflect a lack of faith. It's a complicated and multifaceted issue. And I am sorry if Christians have told you, just pray about it. We know too much now. It's not something that you just pray away. It doesn't mean that prayer is not important. It doesn't mean that prayer is not helpful for it, most certainly, because prayer shows our love for one another as we're praying for one another. But it's not something you can just pray away. Can God do absolutely miraculous things through prayer? I absolutely believe so. He could lift depression off somebody immediately. But the funny thing is that my wife and I were talking on the way here. If I get a physical injury, say if I break my leg, for example, 
I go to the hospital. I end up getting diagnosed with a broken leg. I wear a cast on my leg. I have a six to eight week recovery time. I got to do physical PT uh, recovery after that and do some different exercises to build up the muscles back in my leg. All this different stuff. It's, a lo it's an elongated process. We see that in the physical. But sometimes when things are underneath the surface that we don't necessarily see in the physical, we want instantaneous results and we like to microwave things. Why do we think that mental health or issues like depression can just be prayed away in an instant and something changed like that when you don't even expect that physically? Sometimes healing is a progressional thing physically speaking and I believe it's the same thing health-wise in relationship to our mental health and our emotional health. Depression sometimes does not make sense. You could have everything in the natural be going right. You could be happy. Things could be good at work. Things could be good at home. Things could be going right, and all of a sudden just waves come over you, and you don't want to get out of bed. Waves come over you, and you just can't stop crying. And I'm not talking about little sniffles. I'm talking about alligator tear kind of crying that you need tissue boxes, and you just can't get enough. It just comes in waves. There are seasons, there's dark nights of the soul at times when we suffer through these realities. Sometimes we need the help of God. We need the help of others. We need community. And sometimes we need doctors, medicine, and therapy to be able to help us through this issue as well. And those things are blessings from God to be able to help us through these type of situations as well. Let me give you a one true statement this morning before we get into the text. Our one true statement is this. Hope is our greatest weapon in winning the battle against depression. Hope is our greatest weapon in winning the battle against depression. What depression does is it robs people of hope. It leaves them feeling worthless. It leaves them feeling like there is no sense of where they can get out of this dark cloud that surrounds them. But hope is the answer, I believe, to helping us in the battle against depression. So I want to answer the question this morning. Not in its complete totality, but try to give you at least some walking away points of how can we respond to depression from a biblical perspective? How can we do that? And I think we're going to find four ways we can do that through Psalm 42. So if you want to open your Bible with me, you want to open your electronic device, it will be also on the screen. We're going to journey through Psalm 42 this morning. So in Psalm 42, I think the psalmist is going to give us four takeaways or four things we can do in the help against the battle against depression that will give us hope. So let's start at verse 1, and the very first thing I want you to see is that there needs to be a thirst for God, a thirst for God. Verse 1, you're probably very familiar with this psalm if you've been in church for any length of time. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now, interesting that the psalmist starts off with this image and this image of a deer. I know, how many deer hunters we got out there? Some of y'all, how many hunters we got out there? Y'all don't worry, you, have to, you can raise your hand proud. When, uh, when you hunt something, you get some venison, you can bring some to me. I'll take some, all right? So I, I like, uh, Bambi tastes good, you know, so I'm, I'm okay with that. Oh, that was mean, wasn't it? Sorry, I'm just trying to liven y'all up a little bit. So this is a heavy subject, okay? Um, but listen. So when a deer, a deer is a very interesting animal because they're very typically very skittish, 
They're very skittish and very sensitive to everything that's going around them. However, when a deer is thirsty, they will run at full speed to find water to be able to quench that thirst. They will do whatever they need to do. And interestingly enough, when they actually find water, they will stick their face into the water stream. So they will lose all sense of everything else that's going around them because their thirst has consumed them. So since their thirst has consumed them, the only thing they can think about is how am I going to quench that thirst? So when they jet and they get to the water, they just go full in and they're in. And everything else basically gets drowned out at the moment. They ain't looking for predators. They don't care because they are quenching their thirst. Whatever they're doing to relieve the panting, they will do. Here's what's interesting. The word pant has the idea of yearning or longing for something. And in this context, the psalming is comparing his longing for God like the longing of a deer for water to survive. For without water, a deer cannot quench that panting thirst and a deer cannot survive. The point being is that you and I cannot survive without God. Just like a deer pants for water, our soul needs spiritual refreshment that we got to dunk our head in. We just got to be all in. We, we need him. We need God. We can't do it without him. We will not survive. The word soul in verses 1 and 2 can give off the wrong idea. If you just think about soul, it doesn't mean the non-physical part of your being that just exists, that, you know, exists in eternity. Uh, after we, you know, pass from this earth, it's not that non-corporeal part of who you are. But rather, soul refers to the self the living being part of me, in this case, in its use in Hebrew. So if we could say it this way, let me give you Pastor Pina's translation if we did a more uh, kind of fleshed out and amplified translation. So what the psalmist is basically trying to say is that, so that my whole being longs for you, my whole being thirsts for you. Everything within me, the totality of my person, my physical, spiritual, everything about me longs for God and pants for God and thirst after him. The psalmist is likening that to an image that his audience would have understood and that a lot of you understand when he's talking about a deer. He's trying to rely that this, there's a dependence, there's this whole person, bringing your whole person before God, absolutely dependent upon him. What makes this so powerful is that the psalmist is not asking for relief or thirsting for relief from his enemies. He's going to talk about his enemies. But rather he focuses on his thirst and saying, God, I need this thirst and this relief from you, which is much more important. I need you to be able to alleviate this. I need you to quench this thirst, this deep thirst of my soul. Here's a principle for you. Only the living God can quench the thirst of a longing soul. Only the living God can quench the thirst of a longing soul. In the book of Ecclesiastes, the speaker, many believe to be Solomon, uh, talks about how God has placed eternity in the heart of mankind, of humanity. And in that sense, there is this, you used to hear God-shaped void, I believe, inside the heart of every individual. I believe that every individual knows that they are thirsty, they just go to the wrong water source to drink. But every soul is parched in desperate need of refreshment that they can only receive from God. A number of years ago, Sprite used to have this commercial ad. Remember this commercial, Obey Your Thirst? Remember that tagline, Obey Your Thirst? And they had all these different people popping open the Sprite, drinking the Sprite, Obey Your Thirst. 
Well, here's what I'm here to tell you today, is if your soul is thirsty, and if your soul is talking to you in that way, obey your thirst, just go to the right source. Go to drink from the right source. Dunk your head right in. Plunge your head in into God and to believe that he is the one who can quench the thirst of your longing soul. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 4 when he talked to the woman at the well. And the woman at the well in that story, he says, if you drink of this water, you'll thirst again. But if you drink what I have to give you, you won't thirst anymore. You won't need to go outside. Well, what's this water that you speak of? And then immediately the conversation goes from something natural to something supernatural. And he's telling her about the water, this living water that he can give her to quench her soul. Have you ever thirsted for, your, for God? Have you ever been so in a place where your body, your whole entire being is just absolutely desperate for him? Where you just need, you desperately need a touch from God. I want him and I believe that he can quench our thirst. That's the first thing. We need to long for that. We need to go to the right source. We need to thirst for God. The second thing is we need to be honest about our emotions. Honest about our emotions. We're going to jump a little bit in different parts of this psalm. We're going to start in verse 3 for this section, and then we're going to go down to verse 6. So verse 3 says this. Listen to the words of the psalmist, how raw this is. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? His tears just overtaking him and almost acting like a question saying, God obviously doesn't care. Where's your God? Verse 6, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and from Hermon and from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Verse 9, I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Verse 10, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? If you just read this psalm and read the verses that I actually just read to you right now, here's just a few of the highlights of the emotions that come forward from the psalmist. He talks about nonstop crying, an overwhelming sense of despair, being caught under God's waves, Questioning whether God is there, the physical and mental beating at the hands of his enemies. It's pretty real stuff, right? That he's talking about. He's talking about very real where he's, where he's at and what he's feeling at that moment. We do not have to pretend with God. We don't, we can be real with him. Guess what? God's a big boy. He could take it. So if you tell God, you know, where are you? God, why are all these waves coming over me? You know, my enemies seem to be advancing against me. All these things that he's saying, God can take it. And God wants us to be honest about our emotions. Sometimes we act like we got it all together. Or we act like... We're somehow inconveniencing God or somehow that's unholy or that's not, not clean for us to be able to just bring that honestly before him when God knows everything. 
If you believe that theologically, which I hope you do, that God knows everything, God knows it before you bring it to him anyway. Might as well let it out. If we cannot be honest with God, who knows us better than we even know ourselves, we won't even be honest with other people then. We won't be honest with our spouse. We won't be honest with our family about our emotions, about where we're at. So the psalmist here is not pretending. There are seasons of life when it, all, when it seems like all we can do is cry, when we feel despair. The question comes up, is God still with us? We crash under these waves of depression. It doesn't mean that you are damaged goods. It doesn't mean that you are broken. But it does mean that you are human and you need to be honest. Be honest with yourself and be honest with God. We have to be able to talk about how we feel. And talking with others, praying with others, is seeking outside help through therapy and medicine if need be. That doesn't begin until we acknowledge the reality of where we're at. Where we're at, we are situated in flesh beings. Right now, I'm physically here at Firewheel Bible Fellowship at 11.50 a.m. But as I experience life throughout the totality of my person on the day-to-day -day interactions and the emotions that I feel, it's very real. And it's important for us to be able to acknowledge and understand that reality. If you are here today and you are experiencing some of the symptoms we talked about, a constant state of despair, insomnia, excessive sleeping, lack of energy, inability to concentrate, feelings of excessive guilt, reoccurring thoughts of depression, of death and suicide, talk to somebody. Talk to somebody. The church needs to be a place where people are safe to talk about their brokenness, to experience the love and grace, people willing to not only pray for them, but walk through life with them through all the difficulties because life is like riding a wave. Some days, guess what? The sea's pretty calm. In other days, the sea looks like a hurricane just hit it. Our motto here at Firewheel is you are loved, right? Is that not what we say? If we say that reality, and if we're trying to cultivate that in this place, then we need to express that in the way that we interact with others as well as we are dealing with the realities of life. That's what it means to do life with people. It doesn't mean to just say hi to people. It doesn't just mean to say, hey, it's pretty cool to see you and even share a meal with people, but to do life with people. To share their joys, but also to share their pain. There are seasons of sorrow. There are seasons of joy. There are seasons of weeping. There are seasons of rejoicing. So we need to be honest with our emotions. Next, look at verse 5. Verse 5 and verse 11, it's not a typo in your Bible. They're exactly the same verse. And I love this, how this is bracketed off in this, this psalm, because the psalmist, what he's doing is he's preaching to himself. Sometimes you got to preach to yourself. Look at verse 5 and verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. You should highlight the end of that. So he poses the question to himself, but then he talks about the result. He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. Remember our one true statement that hope is our greatest weapon in winning the battle against oppression. So what is hope on a biblical level? Let me try to give you an example real quick. Let me use this as an illustration. So if you go to a job interview, 
and your spouse, you come home, you have the job interview and things seem to go pretty well. And your wife or your husband comes up to you and says, well, how did the job interview go? And you say, well, I think things went pretty well. I hope I get the job. What you're really saying is, I'd like to get the job. But what you are acknowledging is that you're acknowledging it's beyond your control. You're also acknowledging that you aren't the one who makes the decision. You are not the hiring one. You're not the one who can just walk into an interview and say, hey, I'm pretty good. I got all the good stuff. I'm going to hire myself. You can't do that. So it's outside of your control. You aren't the one who's responsible to be able to make the decision. But you would really like to get that job. That's what you're basically saying. It's a, okay, it'd be really nice if it happened. Biblical hope is different. Because biblical hope is based upon somebody and his name is God. Because listen to what he says. He says, hope in God. He doesn't say hope in myself. He doesn't say hope in my situation when it's good. He says hope in God. Because biblical hope is based upon God. When the psalmist says hope in God, what he's really saying is he's kind of saying that God, that I am placing my hope in a person and our hope is only as good as the person to whom it is directed to. And in this case, it's directed toward God. Hope in scripture means a strong and confident expectation. In modern terms, it's akin to trust and a confident expectation. What the psalmist is then saying is that I have a confident and trusting expectation that God, because of him and my hope in him, I will praise again and my situation will be different. It's not some wistful expect, it's not like some, oh, I just really would hope that this would happen and not have an expectation that it does. No, because our hope is then placed in a person. Our hope is only as good as that person to whom it's placed. And we're placing our hope in a faithful and trustful God. So in that, we are trusting him to be able to move. The psalmist is confident that he shall praise him again like he once did. I shall praise him again. That should be your mantra. You should literally say that to yourself. When your soul is downcast, you should say, no, I hope in God. I shall praise him again. I shall praise him again. I know that today may be rough where I'm at. Today I may be battling all these emotions. I know it hasn't always been like this. I know that God is for me and not against me. I know that joy will come in the morning. I know that this situation isn't always going to quite be like this or the intensity of it is not always going to quite be like this. I know that there can be hope because I hope in my God. Hope is a decision of the will. You and I have to trust God in spite of our current situation and circumstances. Sometimes you have to speak the truth to how you feel. You have to speak the truth to how you feel. The truth is, is that I may feel like crap right now. The truth is that I might be going through all these waves of depression. But the truth is, my God is for me, not against me. The truth is, is that my God won't leave me nor forsake me. The truth is, you got to speak the truth to yourself. Can God still be at work in the life of his people even in the midst of our depression? Can God still, can we still praise him when there's no joy and only darkness? I believe that we can. And sometimes we deceive ourselves because the only voice we're listening to is our own. 
And our own voice is very critical because we are in the intensity of that situation. So when we speak the truth to ourselves from Scripture, we're getting almost outside of ourselves and we're looking toward God and we're putting our hope in God. And we're allowing that to build faith. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the famous preacher, wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. Talk about a title. I love that title. And when he's talking about Psalm 42, this is a little bit of a long quote, but it's worth reading. Listen to what he says. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you at the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asked. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. I'm going to speak to you. I understand that right now I feel downcast and downtrodden. But I, let me speak to you for a moment. Let hope win. Have an honest conversation with yourself. Speak the truth to yourself. Now, maybe don't talk back to yourself. Just joking. But seriously, in all, in all reality, is we need to reaffirm the truth of what God says about us and about our circumstances and situations. I'm telling you to talk to yourself, to speak life and not death. Now, please hear me. What I'm saying is I'm not saying that by speaking life over you, your words have the power to somehow create reality that changes your immediate situation and circumstance. I'm not talking about our, power, our words have powers to create. But I am saying this is that sometimes if you negatively speak to yourself all the time or all you hear is negative voices, you will start believing that reality as a lie and you are allowing it to form you and to shape you. Let me give you an example. If you grew up and everybody said you're so stupid and you started believing about yourself that you were stupid, that doesn't, on a natural level, physically and intellectually, you're not stupid, but you think you are. You think you are because you've allowed that to change your perception about your current situation. It doesn't mean that the words all of a sudden, somehow the words coming out of your, somebody else's mouth, all of a sudden made your brain IQ go down many, many points. It didn't create something in that way. But what it did do is it changed your perception of your reality. So what I'm telling you is when we have, when we have the ability, when we speak truth to ourselves. Outside of ourselves, because we're looking to the scripture, we're then putting our hope in God. What we're allowing is we're allowing the, the, the power of God's word to wash over our minds and our hearts, to renew our minds and our hearts, so that way we can start believing the report that God says and not what our negative self-speech says about us. That's what you need to do. To allow God to speak and to bring his healing into our hearts. The last thing is that the psalmist remembers God's faithfulness. He remembers, remembers God's faithfulness. Look at verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. 
High would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. He's saying, I remember how I used to go out and lead worship. And he's remembering those good times. How I just used to be all there leading worship. Verse 6 again. And my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Look at verse 8 again. By the day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I love verse 4 and verse 6 in this coupling these two together because he's saying, God, I remember. These things I remember, therefore I remember you. I remember how I used to be in worship. I remember how I connected with you in that way. I remember how you were so real to me in that moment. I remember how I was worshiping you and giving you my heart. Because I remember those things, therefore I remember you now. I remember you now as winds and waves and breakers break over me. I remember you now as my enemies come against me. I remember you now in light of that reality because now I remember when you were very, very present. And so I cause myself to remember actively now because I know that you are good. I remember the good times. I recall your goodness toward me. There will be good days and bad days, ladies and gentlemen. Every day will not be like today. If you're in a dark place struggling through depression, there will be better days. You have to cause yourself to remember that, God, I remember the good times. And I remember those times when I was filled with worship. I remember those times when my heart was out to you. I remember those, those times when I felt like I was on the mountain. Now that I'm in the valley, you haven't left me. You're still the God of the mountain. So I cause myself to remember now because I know where you will bring me to. I know what you brought me from. I choose to remember. We cannot let our emotional burden sometimes lead us into isolation. Isolation is the playground of the enemy. When we are depressed, it is not good for us to be alone. God created us as relational beings. And God, the psalmist remembers that God loves him. According to verse 8, he talks about God's steadfast love. And it's always key to remember that God loves us even in the midst of our brokenness. God loves us in the midst of our imperfection. Our emotions cloud our ability to see, our experience and understand, uh, it clouds our experience and understanding of God's love, but that's where it has to begin. The scriptures are a love story. They're a story about a God who created man, and mankind broke that relationship with God, and God made a way to make that relationship be repaired, and he's the jilted lover in this relationship, and yet he pursues. He pursues mankind. He brings them into relationship and restores them. He's consistently pursuing them. That those who would receive his love would be able to experience the fullness of that love for all of eternity. It's a love story. My encouragement to you is that remember the God who was there when you were praising. The God who's always been there when things were good. Just because the circumstances change, God hasn't. And even if your circumstance doesn't change this side of heaven, can you still praise him? Can you still trust him? Can you still believe that his love for you is so great that he can't wait to be with you? 
can we still believe that reality and speak that truth to ourselves to produce a hope within us that will help us to battle our deepest, darkest depression. Let's summarize this for you. So our one true statement was this, that hope is our greatest weapon in winning the battle against depression. And I would encourage you to reread this psalm. There's four ways I believe that the psalmist presents to us as a way that we can battle through depression in a biblical way. Number one is we thirst for God. Number two is that we're honest about our emotions, where we're at. Three is we preach to ourselves. you got to speak the truth to yourself. And then lastly, we remember God's faithfulness because he is faithful even when we are faithless. I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come forward and our, our worship team to come forward as we're going to open up the time for prayer. So as I said, I would encourage you, this message is very practical. I would encourage you to reread Psalm 42 and take these four steps this week and just start utilizing them. Start putting them into practice. But then also I want to make sure to reiterate before you leave this place today, if you are genuinely in a deep, dark state right now, and you would be so honest to say, Pastor, I'm in a really deep, dark state emotionally right now, talk to somebody. Talk to somebody. The darkness only... Well, the darkness will always have to bow to the light. Light always pierces darkness. And when we reside and we keep in isolation and we stay in that darkness, it doesn't allow the light of Jesus to penetrate. So that way, healing can start and start to begin. We have to be honest with where we're at. So we're going to give you an opportunity. We want to be able to pray with you. So if you're responding and you want to respond to this message and that's you and you just need somebody to pray with you today, Amen. Let us pray with you, please. But this time of prayer is for anybody. So if you need prayer for anything, one of the ways that we show love to one another is we care for one another enough to pray for one another. Not just say, I'm going to pray for you, but actually take the time to be able to do it. One of these prayer partners would love the opportunity to be able to pray with you today for whatever your need is. This is what this time is for. So for you today, if you're responding to and you believe today's the day of salvation for you, if you came to this place and you don't know Jesus, don't leave without knowing him. Without knowing the God who in his infinite love came to earth as a human to die upon the cross to pay the price for your sins, was buried and then rose again in order to pay the price for our salvation, to show how much he loved you, that there's no greater demonstration of that than what happened at Calvary in order to buy you back and to, to take you to himself. So if that's you, we'd love to pray for you about that. But whatever the need may be, the altar is open at this point. And I'm going to ask you all to stand. Let's go ahead and worship. Remember, what we're doing right now is something sacred. This is not time to spectate or anything like that. So as we're praying for folks, I would encourage you that engage in worship. Pray where you're at for your own needs and whatever, like if it's only you and Jesus in this room. But let's take an opportunity to connect with God as we connect with others and we pray and we love on people. So let's worship.
be seated. Thank you for that worship team. Thank you for that prayer team. Um, if the offering could come forward real quick, I'll give some announcements. Uh, fun fact, research shows that if you do announcements at the end of the service, more people are in the service than if you do it at the beginning. There's a method to my madness. Uh, so first up, we're starting off with the Thanksgiving feast next Sunday. It's going to be right after church at 1230. Uh, we will be providing fried chicken, but feel free to bring any meats or other side dishes that you want. Uh, once again, that's going to be right after the service. Uh, and then moving forward, and the reason I'm wearing athletic attire, to advertise the Turkey Trot. Yeah. If you didn't know, the Turkey Trot is happening on Thanksgiving Day at 7 a.m. Yes, 7 a.m. Don't worry, the sun will be up, and it will be 75 degrees. I have checked the weather. It's going to be gorgeous. Uh, so come out and earn your calories. Uh, moving forward, we have the golf tournament on December 10th. Yeah, I know everybody loves golf. Uh, just a reminder, it's always better to sign up sooner rather than later. Sooner rather than later. It really helps the person who puts this tournament on if he knows how many people are playing in the tournament. Uh, and then last but not least, we have Grief Share uh, coming up on December 13th from 7 to 9 p.m. It'll be in the great room. Um, if you need any more information on that or would like to know a little bit more about it, please come see me after the service. Um, and then last weekend, I don't know if you know this, but we had a trunk or treat. Yeah. Uh, so just so everybody knows, this was put on by a team of volunteers. They did an incredible job. Uh, it was a great event. We saw a lot of incredible costumes. Uh, lots of candy was handed out. So I just want to give a big shout out to all the volunteers who helped, uh, especially the team that put it together. So let's give them a big round of applause. Very cool, very cool event. Um, and if you're a dentist in the area, you're welcome. All right, uh, and last but not least, I know I've said that twice, but this really is the last. I know I sound like a broken record, but there is a separate building over there where the children stay during the youth or during the service, all right? Now here's the thing, the children need adults to watch them. You got that? So, if we don't have adults to watch them, it causes a bit of chaos. So what I'm asking is that you search your hearts, you search your calendars, and see if there's any time, any Sunday, you can give to serve over in the children's ministry. Uh, we are in desperate need of volunteers, so please look at your calendars and see if you can take just one Sunday, that's all we need. Uh, but it would do, Barb, an incredible service if you could provide that. So that's all I have. Thank you very much. Thank you, Keegan. All right, guys, if you'll stand up, we'll go ahead and say our benediction over you and then get you dismissed. So may the Lord go before you to light the path and give you direction. May he go behind you to guide your steps. May he go beside you to keep you from stumbling. May he go above you to protect you, and may he go within you to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And may our Father in heaven always grant you the character that is greater than your gifts and humility that is greater than your influence. God bless you guys. Love you all so much. You are dismissed. We'll see you all next week. Mm.